Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations, metrics, and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I am super excited to have you guys here for this episode where I've got my good friend, Chris Martinez, joining us. Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Dude Agency, which partners with digital agencies and provides them with the people and process they need to scale profitably. He owned a digital agency for over six years and then moved his entire web design and development team to Tijuana, Mexico of all places. And it was a total game changer for him. So he learned that Tijuana is one of those places where you can outsource without any of those downfalls and pitfalls that you usually get when you outsource overseas or offshore. So in 2017, he decided to launch Dude, which is now providing the perfect outsourcing solution for other digital agencies. And he also published the book Hacking Mexico, which helps agencies figure out how to find amazing talent in unexpected places. So Chris, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me on today. And I am so happy that we are actually on both opposite ends of North America. I think this is the first time that I've ever been on a show that's based in Canada. You yeah, bypass well, the whole, bypass the United States, you know, top and bottom. That's it. I'm here in Moncton, New Brunswick, on the like northeastern side of Canada, like as far east as you can go, and you're all the way in Tijuana. Um, yeah, all the way down the coast. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, technology is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> the magic of the internet. So Chris, I'm really excited to have you here for a couple of reasons. A, because you're a cool guy and you're a smart agency owner. And I think you've done something very interesting with Dude that a lot of people could benefit from. And B, because what you figured out how to do around, um, you know, finding remote and outsourced workers um, and people in kind of an area that typically you wouldn't think about for outsourcing. And then also found a way to run an agency under a model that's notorious for being very, very hard to do profitably, but you've managed to do a really good job of that. So I think there's just a lot of things that we can extract from your brain today that are going to help uh, our listeners do a better job at whatever they're doing. So yeah, I'd like perfect. to start though, just by getting you the opportunity to give everyone a little bit more context on how you got into this space in the first place and what it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll start back to, you know, kind of like uh, to when I started the agency. Um, so you kind of touched upon that in the bio. So in 2000, and so we're going to go a little bit before the agency. So in 2007, uh, unfortunately, my dad died of cancer. And so he had pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed in December of 20, 2006. Uh, and he died about a month later in uh, January 10th, 2007, three days before my 27th birthday. And so that was a, obviously it's a, it was a very, very difficult time for me. Um, and then after he died, I decided that I wanted to start my first business, which was a print soccer magazine in 2007. So I launched this print soccer magazine and granted, like I had zero interest in doing anything on the internet, which is, sounds crazy now, but back in 2007, there were still a lot of print publications around. So I started this magazine, no experience. 
and within 18 months, the magazine failed and I basically lost everything. And I had to get myself back on my feet. I had no money. I had no friends. I was like super depressed because of the grief from losing my dad and all these just problems that I was having, challenges that I was having. And uh, eventually, you know, got back on my feet, got a sales job. Uh, and being an entrepreneur, I had an idea and I was like, I need a website. And I didn't have any money. So I taught myself how to build my first WordPress website by watching these online videos. And that eventually led to, hey, how do I drive traffic to this website? And then that eventually led to, uh, I hired a coach. And this is back before Russell Brunson was the Russell Brunson. And he had a coaching, he had a coaching program. And so I was paying $500 a month to learn how to drive traffic. And it was all about like affiliate marketing and that sort of thing back then. And it was, this is around 2009, 2010. I end up getting a job working for a PPC management company called Reach Local. I don't know, maybe you've heard of them. Um, and so I was selling PPC management services here in the States and uh, Reach Local at the time didn't do websites. I'm like, I had this idea. Let's start a web development agency. Let's partner with a guy in LA. He had a team in the Philippines and that's how we ended up getting started with the agency. And so that th this is 2012. Um, I'm moonlighting, doing the agency, uh, and working full time. In 2013, I decide, you know what, this is the time I believe in my agency. I'm going to go for it full force. Uh, and so then we grow our team in the Philippines from two to at the peak, I think we had nine people. And I was staying up till like one o'clock in the morning every single day, basically, uh, for the first like year and a half of running this agency. Um, full time. And I'm just like, you know, I, it's just one of those things I was like, okay, this is the sacrifice that I need to do. My schedule was I wake up at six o'clock in the morning, I go to the gym. Uh, and then I work all day. I take a little break in the afternoon. Maybe I go play soccer or something. I come back, I stay up until one to make sure that the team has everything that they need to work on our projects. And, uh, you know, we got up to around like 50 clients all on retainer. And then the daytime needs started to kick in. And I was like, okay, well, you know, our, our Philippines team is asleep. And so I would have to wait an entire day and then communicate with them until one o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I, I tried this routine and it would just, it, one, it was hurting our customer service because I didn't have daytime support. And two, it was just killing me because you can't run, you can't run at that pace for, you know, forever. It'll, it'll just wear you down. I mean, I don't care who you are. It'll wear you down eventually. So I was like, got to find something else. Got to find another source for, for amazing people. Tried everywhere on the planet. Nothing was working. Uh, eventually, now I'm living in San Diego. I was like, let's go see if I can find a team down in Tijuana, Mexico. And like you mentioned before, nobody ever thinks to go down to Tijuana, Mexico to find designers and developers. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's just try. So we go down, we launch this company down in Mexico. We eventually figure out how to hire people uh, and uh, hire great people here in TJ. And it was just an absolute game changer for the agency. We had over 220 something people all on retainer. We did this unlimited support program, which was a huge uh, offer product offering for us. So it was fantastic. And then the entire time that I'm here in Mexico, I'm telling my agency friends like, hey, you got to set up a team down in TJ. It's awesome. Everybody's super talented, uh, speaks English, same time zone, as West Coast, same, same time zone. Um, and it's just all the benefits of outsourcing and none of the downsides. 
And for whatever reason, my friends, agency friends, they either couldn't set up the team or they just didn't have time or, you know, they were hesitant to come down to Mexico like I was doing every single day, crossing the border back and forth. So 2017, come up with this idea for Dude after listening to a podcast of Russ Perry who started Design Pickle. And I was like, we can totally do this using web development in using our team down in Tijuana, Mexico. We launch it, start running Facebook ads to get our first clients. And then 2018, we go to the Trafficking Conversion Conference here in San Diego. And that's where it exploded. And we went from five staff in Mexico to we finished last year with 29. And then right now, I think we're at 32. Um, and we're going to start doing another hiring run pretty soon. So we're anticipating we'll probably finish the year with around 50 or 60 uh, staff here in Mexico. Wow. So that's that's the story, man. Crazy fast growth. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that... Um, you know, either have been through that kind of growth or are sitting there thinking, how do you, how do you grow an agency that fast? Um, and hire that many people that fast. It, it probably seems a little surreal. So there's a lot of things I want to unpack here, but sure. uh, really crazy story as to how you kind of got down there. So one of the things I want to touch on is, you know, you talked about how you figured out how to build a team into you want obviously there was some nuance there were some things that you had to sort out um, before you started getting consistently great people that you know were working together well what were some of those um, challenges when you started you know trying to work with this workforce that you had to overcome and what were some of the keys to success for you there man there's so many little nuances change uh, differences between the cultures themselves between American and Mexican culture. Um, very simple, like kind of like practical things like in Mexico, when they negotiate their salaries for employment, uh, they negotiate them net and they negotiate them weekly. So if you ask somebody in the States and maybe it's different in Canada, but you say in the States, like, okay, this salary, this, this job pays you $60,000 a year. And then in your mind, you're like, okay, so after taxes, I'll bring you home this much. Uh, in Mexico, they say, I want to make 4,000 pesos a week, right? So then on top of that, I actually end up paying their income tax. I pay for all their benefits. Um, and I didn't know that coming down here. So I ended up having some very unhappy employees when they get their paycheck and they're like, you said it was going to be this. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is like, you know, pre-tax pre amount. Um, and that was something that I just didn't know. So I had some very unhappy employees when we first started out. Um, another thing that I actually learned this, this, I learned this month or this year, there's no such thing as a working lunch down here in Mexico. So the lunch hour in particular is like sacred and, and food in general is a big, it, this is true in many cultures, um, except for like the United States actually, or at least in Southern California, like food is a time where people come together, they, sh they share, they laugh, they really like relax. And in the States, it's very common that you say, okay, well, we're just going to work through lunch. I'm going to bring in food. And, and so I tried that at one of my meetings and it just failed miserably. It was like a big disrespect to the culture. And I, and I had no idea. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm never making that mistake again. And it was, and the reason why we had to work through lunch is because of my poor planning. You know, it was my, I allowed for a lunch hour uh, or a lunchtime, but because of the, like, I messed up the schedule, I had to do this working lunch and that was horrible. So I will never, ever do that again. Um, you know, there's lots, a lot of like tax differences um, that challenges. Um, also like hiring down here. Uh, it's very common that employers will try and screw over employees 
So I know a guy, uh, he took a job and not at our company, of course, this is at another company. He took a job and he's like a doctor or a physical therapist, I think. And they're like, okay, this is what you're going to be doing. Shows up on the first day of work and they're like, here's a t-shirt. We need you to campaign for the political party that's going to be, that we're trying to get elected this week. He's a physical therapist and that's the thing that they had him doing the first week of work. (laughs) So it's like, he's like, dude, this is not what I would like. I'm a physical therapist. I'm not a freaking, you know, campaigner for this political party that I don't even like. So, you know, those little things like they'll, they'll, they'll change the pay rates, you know? So I had to basically learn how to handle those anxieties that people have when they start working for our company. Um, and then just the way that we, like our management style, like we're very much empowering our staff, not so much top down, like the Mexican style of management is like, I'm the manager, I'm the smartest person on earth. You guys are all idiots. Just do what I say. And that's not what we're about. You know, we're about hiring amazing people and then just giving them the tools to do amazing stuff. So like little things, like those are, there's a million little things that we had to to deal with, but those are some of the, the things that stand out in my mind right now. So it sounds like, um, you know, there's a lot of nuances and I think everyone's going to run into this. You go to a different culture and you have to learn about the nuances in that culture. Um, yeah, I remember even someone telling me about how, um, in some, some cultures looking people directly in the eye is like a sign of disrespect. Whereas Mm -hmm. here in North America, eye contact is seen as being respectful. And so little things like that, that you wouldn't really necessarily know. It sounds like you accelerated your learning though, by actually going and immersing yourself in that culture, um, as you were building that team. Um, is that something that you, you know, if somebody has the means to do it, that you recommend they do is displace themselves and try to go, you know, have boots on the ground, at least in the early days of building that team? Um, yeah, I would say if you have the means to do that, by all means, um, by all means that will help you to learn the little differences between the cultures. It's just not practical. And this is why I love Tijuana, Mexico, because I've been living here for about a year. Um, but so before that though, from 2015 until 2018, I was commuting back and forth across the border every single day. And so I would drive, it would take me about 20 minutes to get from San Diego down to my office. And then it would take me on the way back crossing the border because I had this fast pass. It would take me anywhere from, you know, 20 to maybe 45 minutes heading back. So that's just the sacrifice that I made to be here. Um, and it really, it really helps. And there, there, but there's not many places on earth where you can do that. I mean, and Tijuana is a very unique place. It's one of my favorite cities in the entire world. Uh, it, you, you just, you can't find a culture that's similar because you have both the American and Mexican influences. It's the, it's one of the most Northern cities in all of Mexico. Um, Tijuana itself became kind of like a boom town because of the pro of, of prohibition in the United States, the amount of history that was here. Um, the Italian mafia actually came down during prohibition or just before prohibition to set up casinos. The Caesar salad was invented here. Um, of those, of, of those mafia that were down here, Bugsy Siegel had like three casinos here. There was a racetrack that like the famous horse Seabiscuit won one of the triple crown or whatever, like big horse races at the casino on the racetrack at the casino down here in Tijuana. Like there's just, it's such a rich culture. Um, and you just can't find anything like that. And so that's why like, I just think that from a practicality standpoint, it's really hard to have like, uh, 
a life in the States and in the country that you're trying to outsource like you do here in TJ. Hmm. Now, one of the other things that I think is um, impressive about what you guys do is you, you have a pretty great process for hiring people. You have really good retention, it seems, with your staff, despite yep. the fact that you're hiring so many people so fast. So I'd love to, to, for you to share a, some, some of the keys to success in your hiring process that you found have really helped you have the right people come into the job um, that are sticking around and doing great work for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's it's one of the things that we're the most proud of is our hiring process and our company culture that we've developed. And it's something that I hold of great importance in my role as the CEO is maintaining that company culture. Because in the past, I have made some bad hires, always my, my fault. I take all the blame for that. Uh, but, you know, it really just starts with valuing the staff and understanding that your people are the most important aspect of your agency. Um, unfortunately, I look back on this time and I'm kind of like ashamed, but I used to think of staff being like a necessary evil. And when you were talking about earlier about how, you know, some people are wondering how you get to this, this size this quickly, I'm sure there's some people who are listening thinking, oh my God, having 32 staff would be the worst thing ever. <laughs> and it can be, it can be, absolutely. Uh, it, it, uh, if you don't have the right people, it can be a nightmare. But if you have the right people, it, it's a blessing. So just, just acknowledging that like, you need amazing people and hiring amazing human beings over technical skills. So soft skills over hard skills every day. And that's really what we look for. So obviously there's a basic level of skill, technical skill that you need from a candidate, whether it be a designer or a developer or a project manager. Um, you need them to have certain technical skills, but those come secondary to being a person, to being a great person. Uh, because in our industry, professional services, like we are in the customer service business. And so you need people who are passionate about serving others. And sometimes, let's say for a developer, for example, they just want to bang away at the computer and uh, do the work and they don't care really about the end result that it has for a client. In the agency space, we can't have those types of people working with us. Like if it's, if it's eight o'clock on a Friday and we have a deadline for a client or something happens to a client, you know, they're going to do a launch, their website crashes, we need to get the shopping cart up. You need somebody who has that inherent belief that I have an obligation to this person and I will put on hold my party plans for that night to make sure that this client is taken care of. And not everybody has that. So you absolutely need to find a way that you can get that, uh, hire those people. So when we are specifically going into the hiring process, we'll find somebody, we look at their technical skills, then we send them a questionnaire. In that questionnaire, we're looking for how they respond, making sure that they pay attention to detail. Um, if we ask them for three website examples, they have to give us three. If they give us two, you know, we don't, we kick them out of the hiring process. Then we do a phone interview. The phone interview, it's only like 15 minutes. We're asking them questions about, you know, the work and we're trying to get a sense for how they communicate. Not everybody is nice. And if they can't communicate nicely on a, in an interview, God knows what's going to happen if they actually get a job. And so then if they pass that phone interview, we'll give them another technical exam. Um, we've integrated a new thing called a psychometric exam, which will look, help uh, assess their values. Are they a good fit for that particular role? You know, those types of things, like getting into the nitty gritty of their person. Um, that test, that psychometric exam, just so you know, it changes over time. Uh, 
So if it's a 23-year-old person, maybe they have a certain different set of values than if they're a 35-year-old or a 40-year-old. So you really want to look at that and make sure that it's a right fit at that time. Um, then if they pass those technical and like psychometric, then we'll bring them in for an in-person interview. We have at least four people interview them. Each of those four are asking or looking at a different aspect of that person's personality, technical skills. Um, is it a cultural fit? And at the end of that four-person interview, we all sit together. Uh, well, the candidate goes home, we sit together, and we decide whether or not this is somebody that would be a good fit for the company. We talk about any red flags, and we ask, you know, is this somebody that you would want on your team? Everybody has to say yes. Second question, is this somebody that you would, wouldn't mind, that you would want to work for them one day? They could be your boss. Everybody has to say yes. If anybody says no, we eliminate that candidate. If everybody says yes, though, then we move them to the next phase, which is we have them do an actual project that would be related to their job. So if it's a developer, you know, building out a WordPress website, we have them do that on a deadline. If they miss the deadline by one second, then we eliminate that candidate from the hiring process. And so what ends up happening is because you draw out that hiring process, you end up like getting, you're left with the cream of the crop. And we typically hire one out of 40 uh, applicants for developers, for example. And when you, when you have those great people who, one, they have the soft skills and they want to serve people. They want to serve their teammates. They want to serve the clients. Um, and two, they have amazing technical skills. And three, is they've gone through this very, very long hiring process and now they're invested and they want this job. They really want to come work for our company. And so you end up you know, maintaining this amazing company culture of all these people who are just eager to help others. And, and so that's really, really the core of how we've been able to grow. And, and, um, and also like, you know, our, like you mentioned, our retention numbers are amazing. And we do a survey. Uh, I read a statistic like a week ago that in the States, 80% of people in the States hate their jobs. Uh, in our company, we have 85% uh, or 84% of people said that they absolutely love their job. Um, so we're very, very proud of that. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. But with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I love this concept of, um, you know, having some test projects and stuff in the, in the hiring process. I personally am, am a big fan of doing that. We do that at Parakeeto. I mean, right now we're looking at developers and that's, we absolutely have to work with somebody before we can make that commitment. And it's, and it goes both ways. It's like, I don't want you to get hired here and then figure out that you don't like it and, and leave and have wasted your time and turn yep. down other interviews. Like that's not fair to either party. And, uh, you know, I know lots of entrepreneurs that have started to do that. And I think a lot of employers that sometimes are, 
are afraid to put too much resistance, too much friction in the hiring process because they're afraid it's going to scare off really good candidates. But at the end of the day, if somebody um, doesn't really want to work for you, then do you really want them working for you? Uh, yeah, and, and absolutely. I, to your point, like I think, you know, I've seen really good results with that. And uh, it tends to bring out the people who really have a great attitude. And even if their hard skills aren't there, somebody that you can invest in that's going to stick around and, and usually give you more value in the long run. Totally. Um, I, I want to talk about one really quickly. Uh, another mistake that I see people doing is they hire out of desperation. Right. So you get a few more projects and you're like, man, if I just had one more person, I could take on four more big projects and I can grow our revenues by X amount. Um, hiring out of desperation is an absolute recipe for disaster. If you already have great people on your team and you explain to them the mission, right? You explain, explain to them why they will actually weather these hiring storms with you. So that if you need to bring on a new project, they'll say, you know what, I'll, sa- I'll, I'll sacrifice. I'll put in more hours. I'll do whatever it takes so that we can bring on these projects so you're not rushed in hiring more people. So absolutely do not hire out of desperation. It, you'll end up making bad decisions and they will cost you way more in the long run. It's a good point. And a shameless plug, um, hiring out of desperation. This is one of the things that Paraquito can help with because when you know your average billable rate and you know your capacity, then you can look at your sales pipeline and generally get a pretty good sense of who you're going to need to hire and when. So you can start that process earlier and have a couple of people in the pipeline that are promising when that time comes um, to get things moving. Uh, So anyway, sorry, shameless plug, guys. No, I I love that. I love that. (laughs) You know, I'm a huge fan of your company. So, well, that's we're we're both fans of each other's companies. Um, So the next thing I want to dig into a little bit is actually the model that you have, because I think the white label model is interesting. I, I know a few people that do this for different types of services. I know you guys specialize in web development. Um, but for those that aren't really familiar with the white label model, essentially what that means is that if you're an agency, you can sell website development and then Chris's company actually does that work for you. So you get to have that relationship with the client. You get to mark up the services and you get the benefit of being able to offer extra value to your clients without having to bear the overhead of the team that's actually going to deliver that service. Um, and so I'm a big fan of this model for agencies that want to focus on their core competency and basically create what I like to call expansion revenue that has a very consistent margin, that has a very low risk, and that doesn't increase their overhead burden. Um, especially, you know, even if it is something you want to bring in-house, it's a great way to kind of test it, get off the ground, figure out the sales pipeline, figure out the sales process. There's a lot of advantages. Now, one of the things that I'm always intrigued by is I know how hard it is to run an agency and white Mm -hmm. label agency owners tend to be really great operators because it's a necessity to be able to run that kind of business. So I want to dig in with you, Chris, on how you manage, first of all, why you decided to go to the white label model, and then how you've overcome some of the challenges that come with that. You know, some of the unpredictability with, you know, your clients sending you a little or a lot of work, you know, how you've figured out how to do that profitably. Because I know you guys offer some unlimited packages. Those are the kinds of things that um, I think people at home can learn a lot from how you've done it you know, well in one of the more difficult models for a service business. 
Yeah, this is a fantastic question. Uh, so, you know, when we were running the agency, we already offered an unlimited support program. And so because of that, we had to develop a ticketing system. We had to develop processes for receiving information. We had to develop processes for building out the websites too. And so it was, uh, it was an easier transition for us because we had this really good foundation already created for how to do the work. And then I had to, I, or, well, you know, I kind of figured out talking to my staff that, you know, we're kind of like the opposite of most agencies. Most agencies love to do the strategy. They love to sell and they really, really struggle when it comes to the operations. Uh, we are amazing at the operations where we struggled was with the strategy. Like my staff does not naturally like to do strategy. Um, and so I was like, well, why are we trying to push this, you know, boulder up the hill as why don't we just focus on what we're amazing at? And so that's kind of like why, why, when we transitioned everything to dude, and we still have, you know, like 50 some odd clients with our agency. Um, but we haven't taken on any clients in that in two, over two years. Um, but when we, when we focused on dude and we realized that this was the future, it was, it was much easier for us to do that type of transition. Um, and then as we've gotten bigger, uh, the numbers have obviously become way more important. Uh, and so like using, like, I love Parakeeto, uh, and I love that the metrics that you provide to everybody, cause I'll bet you, if you ask nine out of 10 agency owners, they have, and they're, they're charging a client a monthly fee or even like per project, they probably couldn't tell you how much they're making. You know, it's kind of like, let's just roll the dice and hope that we make money at the end. Um, and so we personally have been really doing a deep dive into the numbers. So we are able to see for each individual client, you know, that we charge an, un we do an unlimited service for agencies. So they can send us as many projects as they want. Um, they get access to a team of six, you know, they, they share that team with other agencies, but we can look to the penny and tell you, this is how many hours that person used. They used, uh, these three people this person cost me this much, this person cost me this much, this person cost me this much. And I can tell you exactly how much each of our clients is costing us and then the margin on each of those. And so then I can see, okay, well, these are, these are great clients. These are clients who are sending us a ton of work and they probably needed an additional resource. So there's an upsell opportunity. Um, and so just like really getting deep into those numbers uh, has helped us a lot. I know whenever I came on your, um, you know, into your group to do a training, you mentioned one particularly, um, awesome case study, mm -hmm. uh, for you guys where you had a couple months where I think you mentioned your profit margin was close to 1%. Like there was yeah. barely any money left over after you. And I think this is something that agencies at home may have run into at some point. They, they're looking at their revenue and they're like, Oh my God, we're crushing it. And then they look at their bank account and they're like, what's going on here? Why is there yes. no money left? And Absolutely. you guys started dialing in these numbers. And I think you said something like 60 days later, you had a 30% margin at the end of the month. Yeah. So like you said, you know, we were coming up in the beginning of the year and uh, we're like, man, this is great. We've got all these clients and I'm like, we're killing it. And then we look at the numbers and there's like, why do I have no money in the bank? You know, these things are not adding up. And the reality is that we, j I was just not doing a good enough job of looking at the numbers. Um, and so when we started running these reports and I was analyzing, okay, here's our areas of opportunity for growth. And, uh, and then here are some expenses obviously that we need, don't need. And here's how we can make things a bit more efficient. And we started to streamline that. And, uh, basically we went from like, let's just call it no profitability 
to uh, May was our best month, uh, you know, of the year, uh, 27% profitability. So it was awesome. And we turned that around, you know, in less than 90 days, it was between 60 and 90 days, when we just started to focus on the importance of these things. Uh, and it just it made a huge difference very, very quickly. Which hopefully, if, if you're listening to this and you're out there and you're in that position where you're like, why am I not making any more money? I hope this shows you that if you just focus on that aspect, you can turn it around really, really quickly. You're one, one month away, basically, from ha- going from broke to, you know, having some good cash into the bank. Mm, yeah. And, and to your point, especially if you're on, you know, recurring retainers, you know, with project work, obviously it has to happen project for project. But if you've got clients that are on a retainer and they're paying you a monthly fee for services that are relatively consistent in scope, the opportunity to make massive changes quickly is is huge for you. So highly encourage you to find somebody smart that knows a lot about these numbers, reach out to them. You know, I don't know who that might be if you can find them. (laughs) Yeah, what is is that company? (laughs) I don't know. So it it sounds like the couple of keys to success I just want to extract from that story. You know, the first one was coming in with the checklist and the procedures to make sure that you had a process in place for doing the work um, with fairly consistent um, scope and process. Um, So that was something you were already strong at, but it sounds like that's been really, really key to being able to do this successfully at Dude. And the second one, what, you know, especially as things got busy was paying attention to the numbers and making sure that uh, you were addressing those if and when they became an issue. Absolutely. And I, I'll just take a step back to what I was talking about earlier. All this stuff doesn't work unless you have amazing people. So unless you have an amazing team that is honest, for example, and is report is willing to do these changes, reporting the numbers, all these things, if you don't have an amazing team that's on board with this mission, you know, then it, it none of it's going to work. So it really just comes back to the people. And then once you get all these other things in place, it makes your life a whole lot easier. Awesome. And there's one other thing that I want to dig in with you before we wrap up. And I see this question. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for the agency owners. And every once in a while, I see a brave soul. Um, and usually it's an agency that like the sales end of things maybe isn't their strong suit. And they okay. kind of, they're, they're brave and they post like, hey, anybody tried the white label thing? You know, we're thinking about doing it because we're really good at like this one thing. And we think we can help other agencies and we've helped other agencies in the past. And the response is kind of a mixed bag. So I'm curious to hear from you. Number one, what's the biggest challenge with running a white label agency? But also, what's your favorite part about it? What do you think is the biggest opportunity? I think really understanding your client is of the utmost importance and understanding what it is that they need. So for us, uh, when we launched Dude, we knew that we could work with, we could work well with digital agencies because we came from a digital agency. We are a digital agency. We understand the language. We understand the challenges. I understand every single bottleneck. If you're a web development agency out there, I understand every single bottleneck that you have. And I pride myself on knowing how to fix all of those things. So with that in mind, it was a very easy thing for us to go and start communicating and selling to digital agency owners. So what, whoever that person is for you, just really, really go deep into that niche. Um, now from the white label standpoint, uh, you know, you want to figure out what is, what it is you do really, really well. If you have not read the pumpkin plan, uh, I think Marcel, you read, you read this too, right? Uh, read, read that book and figure out, and this is something that you don't know, like it takes a little while to figure out what it is that you do really well. Um, but you know, you want to come up with a thing that you do better than everybody else. And then, and that serves your clients and that you could charge good money for. Uh, and just, you know, go all in on that. 
So like, don't start a white label agency saying, I'm going to do everything. We're going to run Facebook ads. We're going to do websites. We're going to do click funnels. We're going to do PPC. We're gonna... You're going to fail. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have yet to meet I have yet to meet anybody who can do all of those things really, really well. Uh, start with one thing. And then as you start to perfect that and get really good at it, then maybe you start to expand into other areas. Uh, but just start with one thing that you do really well. And like my friend, Chris, he runs a company called Content Cucumber. Um, they do unlimited content, right? They're the design pickle of creating content. But they really specialize in blog posts and uh, product descriptions for e-commerce websites. That's like their sweet spot. They'll try and do other things, uh, but that they just know that their sweet spot are blog posts and product descriptions for e-com. And that's okay, right? There is so much business out there. And if you can be the number one person in that particular category, then that's perfect. Yeah, th those are those are really important points. I mean, I think a lot of full service agencies struggle just dealing with clients. But I'm going to assume that when you run a white label agency, there's even more volatility with the volume of work that comes in and the lead time on that can be extremely short, at least when you're dealing with clients, a lot of times, you have a bit of a sales cycle in place, you know, it might take a couple of days or a couple of weeks for something that comes on the radar to come in. But with you guys, you could get a call this morning and have work to do this afternoon. And so if you're a full service agency trying to do white label, I, I don't even, I don't know how you could ever make that work. I mean, I'm sitting here sweating, just thinking about it. So need Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that like, you know, like for, for us, we're communicating with the digital agencies is much easier than communicating with a small business. Digital agencies for the most part, know what it is that they want. They know how to communicate. And we love that. Now, with that being said, what we did learn is that uh, digital agencies have some processes in place, but they're not as good as what we have. And that's why we say that we provide them the people and the processes to make things more efficient. And we also have a training uh, that we call our flex training. And basically, uh, we help them to fix these broken processes and learn how to use their team better and just make everything super efficient so that they can have an agency that can run on its own. Um, and that's just another thing that we've learned over time is a way that we can serve our clients. So like, if you're not getting the information that you need from your clients, or if there's an inefficiency, you have to take ownership of that and figure out a way to fix that. You can't just say, you know, throw your hands up and be like, uh, it's just too hard. Uh, they don't, they just aren't a good client. Um, you have to really like dive in and say, okay, these people want to give me money. What are, what are, and they want to stay with me long term. What are the things that I need to create? to help improve those bottlenecks or to help eliminate all those bottlenecks. And that's, that's what we've done uh, and kind of like expanded our scope. It's like, we're not just doing web development. It's people and processes. Right. No, that, this is a super key. I know I, I've spoken to uh, my good friend Rob over at Invisible PPC and a big part of, you know, his success was, was definitely around, you know, not just having processes in place for his team, but also making sure that he was training agencies on how to be successful working with him and making sure that mm -hmm. the lines of communication to your point were open and expectations were clear and they knew exactly, you know, how to reach out, what information to provide so that things could happen quickly. Everybody's empowered to do their job, you know, and I think everyone wants to do this with their clients, but um, that's super, super important in the white label model from what I understand. Sounds like you guys have really dialed that in as well. And this is what I love about white label agency owners. You guys get 
process because you have to, you don't have a choice and you guys are always very, very good at it. And it's just so refreshing to come in and see that being done so well. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the compliments. So listen, I think um, you've brought a lot of value to the conversation today. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening that are interested in learning more about you, learning more about Dude. So where can they find you on the World Wide Web? On the internet, interwebs. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, website, uh, dudeagency.io. Um, you know, our Facebook page, we're always posting fun videos and stuff on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash dude agency, I think is what it is. The Instagrams, uh, Instagram are, it's, uh, dudeagency.io. So those are probably the best places. You can also just email me. I try to make myself pretty, uh, accessible. Just chris at dudeagency.io. You can shoot me an email. If you have any questions whatsoever, I'm like an open book. So like if you're a digital agency owner out there and you are having any questions or you just want to ask me for advice about a topic, uh, feel free to reach out to me because I'll, I'll give you all my trade secrets. I, I have no secrets really because I just give everything away. Uh, at the end of the day, I know how difficult it is. I think that running a digital agency is like the hardest thing that you can do. There's so many different ways that you can fail or lose money. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I just want to help as many people with my knowledge as I possibly can. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you being on the show and being so generous, giving away your personal email address. And for those of you listening, just check the show notes. I'll have all of those different things linked up so you can find it very easily. Um, Chris, really appreciate you coming on today, uh, sharing your knowledge, sharing your time and uh, adding so much value. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. I'll see you guys on the next episode and uh, thanks a lot. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
Bis.